Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Joel Skett and I'm delighted to have Livingston midfielder and occasional captain Marvin Bartley on the show. How's it going, Marvin? All good, mate. All good. Occasional captain. I need to, you need to edit that bit out, mate. I am the captain now. I'm the boss of Livingston. Are you, are you, have you officially been given the title? Or have, you, offic- or have you given yourself the title? <laughs> yeah, I've given myself the title. And Lithgow won't be too happy. So just, just in my head, I'm the captain. That, that's fine. I'm not sure Alan Lithgow listens to the podcast, so uh, we'll call you the official captain from from now on. Before we get uh, before we get stuck into our chat, what have you made of the last couple of days at Livingston with the uh, with, with, with the Twitter poll? <laughs> well, you know, as what's come out is obviously it's a harmless bit of fun at the start, you know, and um, it was kind of for charity, um, depending on the votes they got in and. You know, I started to see some of the comments from people, you know, tagging in the PFA and saying that the club's a disgrace, this, that and the other. And as if it, people thought it was actually serious. Yeah. You know, um, it, it was it was mind blowing, to be honest with you. And that, that's just social media, isn't it? At the moment, people just want to you know, try and jump on anything and make it a negative. But no, there's a positive side to it. You know, they've, they've helped a charity out. It's all for charity. It's a bit of banter. Um, you know, Gary's really good friends with, uh, with Davey Martindale. Um, so, you know, Davey just put it on there just, just, just as a bit of fun. Um, but as you, as you obviously have seen, it, it kind of caught fire. And I think it ended up with over 160,000 know, or 170,000 votes. Yeah, I see that you tried your best to get uh, Gary Mealy uh, out of the club <laughs> uh, with, with your tweeting. Yeah, I, w- I wanted him out. I had enough of him. Um, so I, I wanted him out of the club. But unfortunately, it looks like he's going to stay. And um, because he helps with the reserves as well, he's part of the reserve management team. 
So I wanted him out of both jobs already because he, you know, I spent too much time with him. But you know, I failed on this occasion. But you know, it's always next season and next year. And will you be involved in any more races with him? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got to the bottom of this race as well, and he was told which way to go. Um, so obviously, it's a reaction game. So I'm thinking, you know, that I'm waiting for whatever to be called out, and he knew which way we were going. But I still won. As you saw from the uh, Twitter poll that, that time, rather, he still had to sing, so I was still the winner. Getting into the, the whole lockdown things, we'll, we'll start there. How have you been coping uh, as a footballer and just as a human being? It's been, it's been, it's been extremely difficult, you know, um, as it probably has been for everybody. But when the, the lockdown was first introduced, or when football was first stopped, rather, you know, as players, we were trying to keep fit because we didn't know what was happening with the league, we didn't know when we'd be back. Um, but, you know, as time's gone on, it's been even harder for me personally because, you know, I'm trying to keep fit, but there's no real, there was no real information coming out, you know. Um, so I'm trying to keep fit for a return date that I don't know is when. Uh, you know, going out and doing your 5K and your 10K runs, um, yes, it would probably keep you physically fit to, to a certain extent, but mentally it wasn't very stimulating for me. Um, so I've had to change up my routine really and, and, and try things kind of, out of the box, you know, things that footballers probably wouldn't normally do fitness-wise, just to keep myself mentally stimulated as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been extremely hard. But since the league's been called, it's, it's helped a bit because, you know, you kind of know that there's no, there's no football, there's no return date for sure now in terms of last season in, in a league format. So it's just waiting to see when we can go back to pre-season. Yeah, I read an interview with Jack Ross and he made that point about the difficulty for players that usually when the season ends, that's it, they can switch off and they can have a holiday. That's not been the case. So is it now, have you been giving guidance from Livingston, right, this is where we're kind of aiming to come back for pre-season, now you're on holiday or what's what's the situation at the moment? Yeah, well, we are we are on holiday like you've just touched on, but I've not played a game for, you know, I can't remember how long it's been now. Um, so... For me, it kind of my body feels like it's been on holiday, you know, since since that day, um, and it's very difficult because I can't, as I said to you just now, I can't go out and do these long runs because mentally they're they're, they're draining for me. And, and let's be honest, how many footballers run five k at one pace, you know, on a football pitch? It's, it's not football specific for me, so it, it's very difficult. And you know, as Jack Ross has, has said about the tenth of June, but that's all, you know, depending on what the government say. Um, so Livingston can't really give us any guidelines as to when we'll be back because it's based on what the government thinks safe for, for not just us as footballers but for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and let's 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 be honest, that's the most important thing. It's not it's not about football, it's when it, it's when it's safe. So, you know, I'm kind of hoping to be back on the on the tenth of June, but you know, it's not a date I'll be waiting for, you know, holding my breath and waiting for. Um so it, it's weird. I, I feel in a kind of strange sort of position in terms of my fitness as I said I'm you know I'm trying to keep myself active uh, by doing different things you know I'm doing zoom classes with the Livingston Reserve boys um, just to help them as well probably mentally and being around each other on zoom but in terms of my own fitness I think you know it would be too difficult for me to try and aim for the 10th of June and then get to that date and be told oh, okay for another two or three weeks we won't be training um, so I'm probably going to go back I'll go back with my weight. I'm, I'm weight conscious at the moment, but in terms of fitness, you know, I probably won't be as fit as I as I probably should be when the date does come round. And, and that's just me being honest. But I've spoken to a couple of folk, and it's that lack of clarity which is which has probably been the most difficult thing to to kind of deal with. And I've noticed, I think I noticed you tweet a few weeks ago about 
the the 5Ks and players or just people putting up their 5K times, and you're just like, just just wait until you get on a football pitch, man. Just yeah, uh, you, you, you can you can run as fast as you want in a 5K. It it makes not so much difference when you're on uh, on the training ground. No, exactly. You know that the 5K it's not it's not based around football. No, no one runs for 5K all at once at one pace. No one runs for 10K doing the same thing. And, and it's funny, you know. I've, I've, obviously, I'm a footballer myself. But I've seen a lot of footballers have turned to uh, fitness instructors, uh, instructors, and uh, nutritionists and stuff like that, which is, is kind of funny on social media. So, you know, I'm, I'm expecting for a, a, a tough league next season because everyone's an expert in everything at, the, at this moment. <laughs> time, the football standards should be raised uh, a lot based on the stuff I've seen and you know, footballers advising other people what to do. So, you mentioned the difficulty in just not not having that end goal in sight, problems that it creates mentally. So what, what have you been doing during uh, lockdown to ch- basically trying to cope with the boredom? Because again, you've been in playing football five, six days a week for so, uh, so many years and then having that taken away from you. What have you done to to cope with that? Um, I think probably the first week I probably sat around as, as many of us did and thought, right, you know, what am I actually going to do? And before I knew it, a week had gone by and I, I made a conscious effort to say, do you know what, I need to somehow get a positive out of this negative time. Um, you know, I need to I need to come out of this with with more skill in a department than I had before. Um, so I've done a, I've done an awful lot of reading. Um, you know, people know my passion for for coaching and managing. I've done an awful lot of reading. Uh, coaching for performance is probably the best book I've, I've read during this time. Um, I've done the Instagram lives, which allowed me again to to go into something that I hadn't done before um, in terms of the research of of, of players and. You know, then come and do the kind of interviews with them. So that was something out of my comfort zone. And, and you know, I enjoy being pushed and stepping out of my comfort zone. So that was something else I managed to do. Um, more recent times, I've been doing talks, if you touched on there, with, you know, Hibs Academy. And I've done some with, you know, uh, Spartans as well and, and various other teams. And, you know, that's something that, that I don't mind doing because, you know, as they might see me as Marvin Bartley, the, the footballer, but I'm just Marvin the Bartley, who Marvin Bartley, the kid, you know, I was a kid like they were and I would have loved nothing more than, you know, someone playing football in England to have come and spoken to my uh, my Sunday league team. So I'm more than happy to do that. But it, it helps me also. You know, it helps me, they said, mentally do stuff like that. Um, Steve Curran's done some animal flow with me on Instagram, which is a progression on, on, on yoga. I've um, seen some of the stuff they on Twitter and that looks, they don't realize bodies can move that way. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Honestly, it really, really is tough. And the sessions normally last about 25 to 30 minutes. And the sweat I get from them, and I said to him, is this normal? And he's like, yeah. He said, although you know, looking in, people might think you're not doing that much. You're, you are doing an awful lot and you're using your body in a way it's not used to being used. So that's, that's really good. And we spoke about the mental stimulation. You know, I have to be 100% concentrating on what he's telling me and what he's doing. Um, so for me, it kind of takes me takes me out to another place where I'm fully concentrated on what Steve's telling me to do. So that's been something else that I've, I've managed to do. I've, you know, I've ran fitness classes for my friends back home and also ran fitness classes for, for the Livingston youngsters. So, yeah, I'm just trying to keep busy, you know. Many different things that in a normal season I wouldn't have time to do, um, I've managed to fit in. Yeah, that's that. That's what I found uh, myself as well. Without, uh, without football to watch or football to go to, is catching up with stuff I've not been able to. And one of the things uh, we've done at the terrace is do an actual. I uh, do a podcast on things away from from football. So you mentioned you've done a lot of reading. Is there any kind of uh, TV programs you'd recommend listeners uh, that you, ha- you you've watched? I know you're a big fan of Antiques Roadshow and uh, Homes <laughs> Under the Hammer. 
<laughs> I've been getting stuck into to Netflix really. I've been watching a Money Heist. Um, I suppose everyone's probably seen that Game Game of Thrones. I'd never ever watched a, an episode of that, um, and I've now got into that as well. So that's probably helped me pass some time. Homes Under the Hammer as well is another one. <laughs> uh, my guilty pleasures. So yeah, I've just they're probably the three that I would recommend mostly. But most people have probably seen Games of Thrones uh, or Game of Thrones already. So, but I've I've just started it, so I'm enjoying that. And with through it always being the the ongoing, let's say we'll we'll go farce with the SBF. Well, maybe some people see it as farce, some some people, uh, some others uh, won't. But the SBFL about ending the season, uh, talks of league reconstruction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What have what have you made of how everything has, kind of, everything has developed over the last couple of months? It's you know it's, it's been so difficult. Um, such a, a difficult kind of subject to talk on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people will hear me talk and, and because Hearts are bottom of the league, they'll be like, oh, well, he's only saying that because it's Hearts. And, and that's that's genuinely, you know, not the way I'm, I'm looking at it or, or the angle I'm coming from. I, I think that the league's had an awfully uh, difficult job. You know, I don't think at any point they're going to be able to please everybody. Um, and I think they've made the only decision that's that's, possible at this point in time and as I said you know you're going to have people who, who who are in uproar about it you're going to have some people who are delighted about it but I don't see what else could have been done um you know it's not safe for us to go back and play um we've also got to be mindful of the of the contract on players you know some run out at the end of May some run out uh June the 9th so you know there's there's all all different things that we have to kind of think about and you know I would hate to be in their position you know I've seen a lot of people on, on social media um kind of complain about what, what the league has done. But there's been very few who have come up with, you know, what they would have done in that situation. You know, it's very easy to point the finger and say, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, that's unfair, that's unfair. Okay, well, put yourself in their position and come up with something. You know, not many people have, have managed to do that, you know. And the ones who have have come up with, you know, most ludicrous of things that are going to cost money that, unfortunately, us as a, as a footballing nation, we don't have. And now the focus seems to switch. Well, there's talk of reconstruction, but looking ahead to next season with everyone behind us, about behind closed doors, what's your view on playing behind closed doors? What impact do you think it'll have? And have you had experience of that before? Well, most games at home, at Livingston's home is behind closed doors, isn't it? There's not, there's not a lot of fans there. That's what you're trying to get at, isn't it? No, not, not at all. Not at all. It's fine. <laughs> not at all. Uh, uh, no, you know, I'm, I've never, I've never experienced it. Um, and if you'd have said to me, you know, eight weeks ago about behind closed doors, I'd have been like, no. But well, well, now I'm just desperate to play football. Yeah, you know, and whatever that means, and however we get back to playing, you know, from a selfish point of view, I'm hugely desperate to play. Um, you know, I'd love nothing more than fans to be, you know, allowed back into stadiums. But if we have to start it behind closed doors, and, and clubs can afford it, definitely me as a player, I just want to be back out there doing what I love. Um, so yeah it's, again that's not an idle situation but it's, it's one I think that if you ask any player now they'll be, they'll be more than willing to go and go and do that One aspect of behind closed doors I'm looking forward to if, if I get the chance to uh, to cover games is actually hearing uh, just being able to hear what players are saying to each other and managers are shouting onto the uh, shouting onto the pitch because it will be quite a you imagine quite be quite an eerie or surreal experience yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm not sure how the highlights are going to work either because if you're covering a Livingston game or, or a Celtic game with Neil Lennon or Davey Martindale, there's going to be a lot of bleeping going on. <laughs> uh, so it's, 
viewers are able to watch it. But no, it will be it will be strange, you know. As you said, it's almost be like a training game, you know, for, for us as players. Um, and you do 11 v 11 in training and you can literally hear everything. You can hear it kind of like a, every shout you can hear, which is strange because you go into matches and as you said, with, with fans there and, you know, the other team kind of talking and, and their manager barking instructions, it's not, not normally as clear as that. So it will be a strange, strange feeling, but it's one I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to deal with if it means I can get back to playing what I love. Before we move on, from the current situation, what have you missed most about football? Just being in and around, you know, the boys and, and the kind of banter. Um, and, and for me, you know, obviously getting on in my career now and it won't be too long until I retire from playing, but I kind of see what, you know, players go through when they do retire. And, you know, you, you hear all this stuff about players struggling, you know, mentally when, when they come out of the game. And I kind of see that now uh, because... We've had this time off and I've been away from it. Um, and, and it's a very, very strange period. Um, but for me, it's, it's made me hungrier to go and, you know, see if I can achieve something in the next two years and, you know, c- kind of keep my standards high because this is what retirement feels like and I'm not nearly ready for it yet. So it's created something in me again. And, you know, I'm 100% at all times, but it, it's lit another fire in me. And, you know, hopefully I'll go back and, and be able to show people that because, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely hungry to be playing football again and I want to give the next two years everything I possibly, you know, have in the tank. Yeah, that's one question I wanted to ask you is that no matter what employment you are, even if it's a job you enjoy, that the longer you're in it, the, the more wear and tear there is and disgruntlement, but do you still enjoy playing? I love it. You know, I, I genuinely, you know, I, I say that from the bottom of my heart, I, I love it. Football is my life. Um, everything I do, you know, revolves around football. Um, mm. When I'm at home, you know, I'm watching football. I'm, I'm watching coaching sessions, and, and football is everything to me. You know, for someone who who hated it, I probably up until the age of nine. You know, now now I can't imagine being without it. And you know, my passion for it is, is still the same as when I first stepped onto a football pitch for the, you know, the very first game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never lose that. Yes, I'll begin to lose my legs and, and lose what little ability I do have. But in mm-hmm. terms of my love, that will, that will, that will never wane. And, and football, as I've just said there, is, is absolutely everything to me. Do you think because of maybe your struggles early on in the career before you, it, it took a few years to get into the, the, the football league and professional uh, football, was, do you think that will, that will kind of aid you in that you can give you that extra push when your contract runs down in a couple of years to keep going after those two years? Yeah, I, I think so, for sure. Um, I also think, you know, being involved in the game for the length of time I have and, and seeing things that I look at now and be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that then. You know, manager did this and I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. So if, if the game was perfect and if I came into the game and everything in my eyes was done correctly, maybe, you know, I wouldn't think there was a place for me in football after. But I see so much wrong, not so much wrong, that's probably the wrong word, so much that can be improved. Um, you know, small minor details, but you put them small things together, they make a, a big difference. Um, I see so many things that I, I think you know c- can be implement, implemented and, and improved. Um, that makes me want to stay in football after. And I also think the pressure of not being forced into football at a young age. You know, I wasn't forced to play. You know, some of these boys playing since they were four or five. You know, going into academy football, coming back out, and not being forced to stay at an academy or forced to achieve at that academy. I was kind of left to my own devices and to go which way I wanted to go. 
And I always tell people this, you know, when I was playing at Redden Academy, so many boys were being forced by their parents, pressure was put on them, do this better, do that better. By the time we got to 21, you know, there was only two of us left playing football. You know, that two of us made it professional, but I mean, there's only two of us left in the game at any level. You know, these boys weren't even playing Sunday League football because they've been playing since they were four or five, because the pressure had been put on them to make it as a pro since they were, you know, eight or nine. And then they've got to the age of 20 and they're not professional. Professional, they're not really playing at any great level in Sunday League. By the time they're 21, they're falling out of the game because, you know, it's not their dream that they're living, it's, it's their parents' dream that they were trying to live. And they've failed and now they're happy to move away from it where everything I can achieve in football is, is my dream because I was never forced into it. That's really interesting because I wanted to ask you about the, the release from Reading and building your way back up to get back into back into professional football with, with Bournemouth. How did you, how did you handle uh, the release and how, how difficult was it mentally? Because you, you did talk about those players who have had that pressure on them. Was it, so I take it was very much different for you. Yeah, very much different. You know, I wanted to be kind of released a year before. Um, okay. I wasn't enjoying. I wasn't enjoying it. You know, so I stepped into Sunday League football as I said when I was nine or ten years of age, and before I knew, eighteen months later, I was playing for Reading Academy. Um, it was all too structured for me at such an early age. The first year of playing at Reading Academy, which was under 11s, I was able to play Sunday League and for Reading. Um, the following year, under 12s, it just became just Reading. And that structure, I wasn't ready for at that time. You know, I wanted to be a free spirit. I wanted to play with my friends. I wanted to play with the boys I went to school with. You know, I wanted to play with the local boys around my kind of neighbourhood. I didn't want to be in Reading Academy when you had boys travelling from, from London to Reading, which is, you know, an hour, hour and a half from Southampton. You know, this pressure being on, you boys need to make it, you need to be professional. I wasn't ready for that environment. You know, and after being in it in two, for two or three years, I, you know, I was so, so relieved when I got released at my under-14 meeting that, I called my Sunday league manager on the way home and, and said, oh, yeah, you know, I've just been released, um, so I'll be back at training like next week or whatever it was. And, and that, that, for me, was so, such an important journey. You know, never at any point during that journey did my mum say to me, you have to stay at Redden Academy. I remember I got to the end of under-13s and I was thinking about just leaving. And she goes, well, give it, give it a few weeks. If you still feel this way, then, you know, we'll pull you out. And I kind of stayed in there for, for an extra year. But I wasn't enjoying it. You know, so I wasn't I wasn't heartbroken at all when when I was released. It was a weight off my shoulders. You know, I was able to then go back with my friends and, and kind of express myself um, at a level that I was not not at a level footballing wise that I thought you know that I could go and this would be easy for me, but a level where I was happy at. You know, I was happy in the environment, and there's a lot to be said for being happier and you're happy in your environment. And I was delighted in mine. Um, you know, so. It, don't get me wrong, it wasn't probably the easiest route then getting back into the professional game, mm-hmm. but it's a route that I would never, ever swap. And I kind of liken it to, if you can get promoted out of the championship into the Premier League, you know, the best way to do it is through the playoffs, if you can guarantee it. And my route into football was one that, you know, I would never, ever change. If you can guarantee you're going to get in, it's the best route to go. When you, so when you dropped back down and just went back and played with your mates and, and, and just enjoyed it again, was your viewpoint then of getting back into the professional game at some point? Was that the route you wanted or was it just a case of, I just want to play football, have fun and, and see where it takes me? Yeah, I just wanted to play football and have fun. It wasn't even, honestly, at that, that sort of age, I wasn't even thinking about where it could take me. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably didn't come into me again until I was probably 17. Um, but for, that, for those next couple of years after being released from Reading, it wasn't where I could go. It was just enjoying it. It was just having fun. Just, just enjoy your football, you know. 
playing with your mates, play, as I said, playing against other boys who are maybe at your school or at rival schools or whatever else. Just just enjoy it. Um, and that was all it was about for me. It's probably, as I said, it wasn't until I was 17 that I thought to myself, do you know what, I actually want to go on and play professionally fo- professional football again. How far can I actually go? Well, it was full-time football. How far can I go? Um, and, you know, I, I stepped into kind of, it was called a FIDO course, which was half football, half education, um, all funded by the government because it was keeping you within education. Um, and, I, and I started doing that and I got called up to play for England Colleges, which was the, you know, the best 18 players um, in England who are in education still. So, you know, I managed to do that. But I, I took myself into that kind of structured environment again. The same one that I came out of at Reading, I then took myself into that at 17 years of age. And I was probably better, um, better suited to make that decision at that age. You know, mentally, I knew what I was getting myself into and I knew what the end goal, what end goal I wanted. When I was at Reading, I wasn't thinking about being a professional footballer. I just wanted to take that fun that I was having Sunday League into Reading Academy and it wasn't there. Was, was there a moment that you can remember where it just, it just twigged for you that you did want to get back into an environment which maybe you, you didn't enjoy so much? Yeah, it was... When I left school, I went and did a mechanics apprenticeship and it was, it was those cold mornings in, in the in the workshop that made me think, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm suited for this life. <laughs> like, well, what else can, what else can I do? And I thought, oh, do you know what, football, you're not too bad at that. Let's, not, let's give that another go. So in all seriousness, that's what kind of twigged me and said, I said to myself, come on, let's, let's, let's see if we can give this a go. And then I, f- I knew a f- few of the boys who, was, who were on that scheme, rather. When I was doing my first year mechanics apprenticeship, they were on that scheme. Um, so that, that kind of made me, you know, look at it and be like, I want to get involved in that because where I was going for my kind of day release on my apprenticeship, they were doing this same course and I see those boys with their sports bag and I knew a couple of them. It made me think, you know, I want to be a part of that. How do I get into that? And, you know, as I say, kind of the rest is history. Yeah, you got back into the league, the English Football League in 2007, I think, when you joined Bournemouth have been mm-hmm. played non-league. You became, uh, would you say, became an Eddie Howe favourite uh, at Bournemouth? Because he, he ended up taking it to Burnley as well. Yeah, you must have been talking to some of my teammates. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> Eddie, Howe, Eddie Howe didn't have favourites, so to speak. You know, um, I, th- I think he just appreciated my style of play. You know, he appreciated the, the effort that I put in and, you know, I'm kind of a 100 percenter. Mm-hmm. And this is why I always tell, you know, young players at football's game based on opinions because Eddie Howe brought into the type of player I was, but my amateur team that I was at released me at 18. You know, so football, again, is based on opinions. If Eddie Howe was at that amateur team, I would have stayed on there. But if that coach was at Bournemouth, I wouldn't have got a contract. You know, and, and it just shows you that it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, it's still all based on opinions. I was released by an amateur team. What right have I got, you know, a year or 18 months later to be a professional footballer? But that's what happened. Um, so, yeah, you know, Eddie Howe, I think, just just appreciated my style of play. Um, he was very much the sort of man who wanted, you know, everyone to buy into kind of the same ethos. Um, you know, we were hardworking. You know, all the young boys were up for doing extra work. And, you know, he, he kind of loved that. And, you know, I, I always brought into that from the start because, I knew how lucky I was to have this opportunity so late on in kind of like my career. I say so late on, I'm still a young boy at this point, but nobody really makes it at, you know, 19 years of age, 20 years of age. It doesn't normally happen. Um, so I knew I, I, I'd been given kind of a lifeline and I, you know, I kind of grabbed it with both hands and I think he loved that about me. So did you notice that when you 
moved to Bournemouth and in your your first season there that you had a different mentality or a different viewpoint on football than the, your, your teammates, people you're sharing a dressing, dressing room with? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's kind of that thing when we were having double sessions and the boys were like, oh, this is a long day. Like, why is this day so long? And we were kind of getting in at 10 and probably leaving at 3. Where, you know, prior to signing for Bournemouth, I was, I was fitting double glazing in conservatories and I was, you know, getting up at, say, 6 o'clock in the morning um, and then probably getting in at that time. That's if I didn't have football on the Tuesday and Thursday, I'd have training after. So it'd be 6 in the morning and I'd be getting back in the house maybe 11 at night. You know, that's, that's a long day. You know, training from 10 till 3 kind of thing, that's, that's not a long day for me. And, and kind of that mindset... Mine to theirs were, were totally different. You know, I was kind of lapping this this stuff up and some were like, oh, I can't be able to do this. They've been pros for so long. They've come through their scholarships and whatever else. Um, so there's definitely a difference in, you know, our kind of outlook to what we were doing. Of course, Eddie Howe took you to, to, to Burnley where so you've played under two of England's, two of their more respected managers, certainly in the last few years, in Eddie Howe and, and Sean Dyche. But when Sean Dyche came in, he kind of, you, you fell out of the team at Burnley. What running through your head when a manager who buys you for a club then leaves? Do you get a sense early on that a new manager is, is, is not, not a fan or is, prefers other players? What kind of goes through your head? It was, it's a difficult situation, you know. Um, Every time I speak about Eddie Howe, you know, I speak so highly of him. And that's not me, you know, telling you anything that's, that, that's untrue. Um, mm. but when he did leave leave Burnley, it was difficult. But I was also injured when Sean Dyche first came in. Uh, my first uh, meetings with Sean Dyche were very, very, uh, very good. They were very positive. Um, but obviously I was injured at the time. It was about me coming back and, and kind of getting my fitness back and then getting my place in the team where he actually saw me playing. Um but, but I came back and, I, I, you know, I was kind of unhappy off the pitch. Um, you know, I, I became homesick. Um, as he said, the manager who brought me to the club had, uh, had left. Um, not too long after that, one of my very good friends, Charlie Austin, you know, ended up leaving the club. Um, it, it was difficult, difficult for me. And I, was just, I just felt kind of alone. You know, as I said, I was a long way from home. It's the first time I'd, I'd lived away from home or that far away from home and, and I was struggling off the pitch you know I'm not ashamed to admit that and it kind of that overtook my football for the first time in my footballing career you know something had kind of got in the way um, and, and that was kind of my home life and I, I just wasn't happy being being where I was um, and you know I, I began to cut corners you know I, I wasn't being 100% of that I talk of so much now um, I was doing the bare minimum um, I didn't want to be in and around the training ground, you know, and I, I just wasn't, I wasn't in a physical condition that I needed to be in to play at that level um, and to give myself a fair chance of playing at that level. You know, yes, you know, Sean Dyche, I was on the bench or whatever else, but I could have been doing more. You know, I could have been working harder after training and doing extra runs. You know, you can't ever replicate playing in a match. It's impossible, but I could have been a lot, lot closer. And um, i never forget the, the game at, at Barnsley. Um, I hadn't played for a while and uh, one of the centre midfielders was suspended. He'd been booked in the game before and we found out he was being suspended for that game. And Sean Dyche started me. And I remember, you know, normally when you you hear that you're, you're playing in a game the following day, there's absolute delight. For me, there was there was none of that. You know, I, there was a flat feeling. Um, and it, it kind of carried on, you know, on the coach on the way to the game. I didn't feel right. Um, I did the warm-up. 
and John Bazell was a fitness coach at this point. Uh, he was uh, brought up there by Eddie Howe. Um, so he was my, kind of my last ally, ally say, uh, so, sorry, he was my last ally at the club, um, you know, in terms of someone who was from down south. Um, and I remember saying to him, I don't feel great, John. I really don't feel great. Um, I was cramping up in the warm in the warm up. You know, I felt extremely heavy. And he's like, "You'll be fine." So once you get going, you'll be fine. I remember, I played that 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 first half, um, and you know, I could have been dragged after twenty minutes. You know, I was I was doing nothing. I couldn't get around. I couldn't get close to anyone. I felt truly horrendous. You know, I've never ever felt like that touch wood on a pitch again. But I felt horrendous. And at halftime, Sean Dyche took me off and. And there was kind of a relief. It was because, you know, Sean Dyche did believe in me as a player. But at that point, it was kind of like, do you know what? He's probably lost all trust in you and all belief in you now. You know, you'll probably end up leaving the club, which which is what I wanted. I wanted to go home. Um, and, and I knew my career at Burnley was over at that point. And, you know, that, that wasn't down to Sean Dyche. That wasn't down to anyone else. That was down to Marvin Bartley because I didn't put in what I should have been putting in. Um, and I just wasn't, wasn't happy in, in my surroundings, um, you know, once going home from football. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting because it's something fans don't really think about. They, they just think about players as... They don't, they don't think of players as human beings. They think, as, uh, they think as players, as professionals, as kind of uh, famous people on the pitch for 90 minutes. That's it. So they don't think about everything that's going on around it. So did, did, you, did you speak to anyone about, uh, about it kind of professionally or was it just a case of you knew what the issue was, you just wanted to go back to London? Because, of, of course, you went back to Leighton Orient. I think mm-hmm. it was it was on loan to begin with, and then uh, the, then a transfer. It was just a case of you knew exactly what had to happen. Yeah, I, I knew within myself, you know, um, what I needed and what was going to make me happy, um, or happier rather. And, and I knew that I needed to get back down the road. Um, that that was definitely what I wanted to happen, what I needed to happen, um, and you know, and kind of what I made happen in terms of going to Leighton Orient. And, you know, I kind of look back on my on my time at Burnley and especially that last little bit, and, and I know I could have given more. And there's very few times in my life that, you know, I'll speak to you and say, do you know what, I could have given more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably one of the most disappointing things because like, I could have gave more. Um, and, you know, now when I speak to players and I, I remind them, you know, yes, you have to be happy with, you, with what's going on off the pitch. Um, but, you know, if you're given 100% at training and on the pitch, you know, it probably make you a little bit happier when you, when you get off of it. Um, and I probably should have spoken to somebody at that point, you know, in terms of I'm not saying go seek professional help. But I mean, maybe someone in my family or something. But I'm very much one of those people that I just like to work things out myself, rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just knew at that point, you know, Marvin, you need to you need to go home because you're not happy here. And you know, there, there shouldn't ever be a professional footballer out there that isn't happy. You know, it's the best job in the world. It's the best job in the world, bar none. Um, so, you know, having that kind of feeling, that's what I was thinking, you know, you shouldn't be unhappy. Um, so let's do what's going to make you happier. And, you know, as I said, I managed to do that. And it kind of goes against the, the cliche of you go on the pitch as a footballer and you forget about everything else that's, that's, that's happening in your life. Because as you said, you go on and it can cloud your mindset. How can, can you describe how that affects just stuff you usually do naturally? So like passing, seeing stuff or like tracking runners. And is it, is it something that, that, that can happen from time to time, obviously during, during the season where your mind is just, just not focused on the game at hand. And it's obviously natural because that's, that's just life. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's, you kind of touched on it now. I think if you're playing regularly, then, you know, football can be your happy place. But when, mm-hmm. when you're not playing regularly and football isn't your happy place and you're going home and you're not happy, then, you know, that's kind of when you start to think about being home, so you start to thinking about going home. Because when I had my run within the team, these thoughts weren't there. Do you know what I mean? It's only when I became injured and, you know, I then wasn't playing that I kind of had those thoughts that I need to go home. And, you know, being, I, I was probably unhappy off the pitch during the whole time, but it was being clouded by me playing games and whatever else. You know, when you're not playing games, you have a lot more to, time to think and you're training all weekend and not getting to release that energy on the weekend. It's even worse. Um, but yeah, like in terms of being on the pitch, I can only kind of relate to that, that, that game against Barnsley and, and you just feel, I felt so heavy. You know, I didn't feel in control of my own body. Um, you know, I, I, I felt... I, I, like say seeing passes or, or, or tackle, I couldn't get around. You know, I, I felt as if someone had taken over my body and just my mind was there. You know, I wasn't in control of anything and it's such a such a surreal kind of feeling. Um, you know, even getting a cramp and stuff before it was just it just wasn't wasn't me. Um, I know I wasn't at the fittest I could have possibly been. You know, I'm not gonna sit here and try and kid myself that I was, but I definitely wasn't in the shape that how I was feeling there. And I can only put that down to a mental thing because it was definitely wasn't a physical thing. Um, you know, it definitely wasn't a physical thing. You went back to Leighton Orient and then Hibs came in of this summer of 2015. How big a decision was that for you to make going by your, your past where you went to Burnley and you, you were you're homesick? How big a decision was that to make to, again, leave London and make an even bigger journey, not just uh, moving up the country, but moving to moving to a new kind of whole football football and culture. It, it was it was a, a very uh, difficult one, but I, you know when I kind of spoke about being at Reading and being in that structured environment, and then taking myself away from it, then being ready, you know, a couple of years later, yep. to go into the, the the Fido scheme. That's kind of what it was like at Burnley. You know, I'd stepped away from it because you know I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't happy within it. Um, but then I went to Leighton Orient where I spent a couple of years and then I was ready again to, to move. You know, I had options a lot closer to home uh, within, you know, League One, League Two. Um, but I, I needed, after the Leighton Orient kind of journey, the second year was, you know, to want for a better word, it was shambolic. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a poisonous place. It was a poisonous dressing room. Was and this just, when there was the Italian managers? Yeah, yeah. So with the Italian chairman and, you know, I'm probably the only player who will look back on that time and, and, and speak honestly about it. The Italian chairman wasn't as bad as people make out. You know, yes, he was at times coming down to the dressing room, not acceptable. But he put his money where his mouth was, you know, especially when he first came in. Um, I just felt that, you know, when we did begin to have the Italian managers and don't get me wrong, there was a translator and sometimes the language was a barrier. I felt some people use it as an excuse um, to, to make it more of a barrier than it needed to be. Uh, to laugh and to joke and 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 there were there were I, I say this sometimes there were there were people there who were professional footballers by job description but they weren't professional in terms of going about their job um, and that's probably the most disappointing thing but after that kind of journey I needed something to get my teeth into I needed something to excite me um, you know and, and and some of the offers I was getting down the road weren't doing that to be honest when the, the offer from Hibs first came it didn't excite me either I didn't know anything about the club. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know about the training ground. I didn't know about the, the stadium. I didn't know about the fans and the infrastructure that the club have. Uh, it was only when I came up here and realised that what a huge club it was that, you know, it really did like something within me. And, you know, I was ready to move again. Um, and, and 
you know, I've been in Scotland ever since, so it kind of shows that. But I was definitely more prepared for the move then because I'd been through probably the journey I went through at Burnley, the highs and the lows. I was better prepared to come and make this journey, uh, this trip than I did. That's always something that you see when people involved at clubs like Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, where players mention it that they don't really know the club too much, especially out of, obviously out of Scotland. They come up and they see the cities, more so, uh, more so Edinburgh, and they see the facilities on, on show. How big a part does that play in a football's decision when you see the ground that Hibs have got, the training ground that Hibs have got? How big a swing is that? It makes a huge difference, um, a massive, massive difference, bigger than you know clubs could probably ever ever dream of. You know, first and foremost, it's about when you speak to the people within the club. You know, what kind of ambition and what kind of drive they have. Um, you know, and and obviously, as you can imagine, when I spoke to Graham Matthew and I spoke to uh, Alan Stubbs, you know, the ambition was absolutely huge. Um, first, that's the first kind of box for me that needs to be ticked. Um, you know, I'm not saying that. No matter what club you, you sign for, I, I just want a club that's looking forward. I'm not saying a club that's saying, oh, we're going to go and win the league every year. A club that's looking forward, you know, how can they improve? How can they evolve? Because I want to evolve as a, as a player and as a human being. And I can only do that if I'm in an environment that's going to also be doing that, you know. And, and at that point, the club wanted to get back into the Premier League. You know, that was kind of the first... The, the, the first hurdle that we had to, to, to overcome. So first and foremost, when speaking to clubs, that's the first thing, you know, what do they want to do? Do they want to get better each year? Whatever that might be, going from relegation favourites to a team that finishes just outside of it to then the next year, can we go a little bit higher? You know, these, these are things that, that I need to, to get me going and, and make me want to be part of a project. Um, then, the, yeah, the stadium and then the training ground, you know, just, just, just bonuses and what huge bonuses they are at that football club. Uh, the training ground is the best I've ever, you know, had um, as a player. And, you know, I played for Burnley when they were just relegated out of the Premier League. Um, but the HTC is, is the best training ground I've, I've, I've played at, um, or trained at rather. And, and the stadium's, you know, first class, absolutely fantastic stadium in a fantastic city. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of boxes being ticked at that point. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.